Tonight, guess what tonight is, you guys? Saturday. Longest day of the year. Yes. It's the summer solstice. Yeah. Longest day of the year. Today or tomorrow? I think it's. I know, right? Today or, today or tomorrow, right? And then tomorrow is. Father's Day. Father's Day. Yay! <laughs> Ken didn't even know that, did you, Ken? Ken was like, "What? Tomorrow's Father's Day." Remind your kids. Yeah, Cody says, oh, I've got time still, he said. That's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said. So we're here to celebrate. We're going to celebrate fathers today. Um, can you put up my little cartoon? This I got this from Chris, actually. I saw it from somebody else. Isn't that cute? <laughs> That's great. Isn't that a cute little thing? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes when we do Mother's and Father's Day, we want the opposite. We want the mothers talking about Mother's Day or the fathers talking about Father's Day. Obviously, I'm not a father. I'm a mother, but sometimes I think it's really good if the opposite sex affirms that the other parent affirms the opposite sex parents. Does that make sense? I think that's an important um, validation that we need to recognize. A lot of you know my story. I think everybody here knows my story, but I'm going to repeat it. I think Joe, you might be the only one who doesn't really know my story. Um, when I was at The Rock, I went through a really bad divorce and I stood for my divorce for until I couldn't stand for it any longer because you can't stop a divorce from happening, right? But um, I went to the men at the church at that time and they were not very organized. Is that fair to say? Um, I mean, not, I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm just saying they were, they didn't have a, an organized thing going on. And I had started there by doing women's ministry and we and janet knows we had training we had groups we had a semester we had a women's breakfast i mean we were adopted that yeah i mean retreats we we were full steam ahead there right and i i had one man come to me when i was um i was the community pastor at the time but he said well how come there's a women's pastor but there's not a men's pastor and I said, I don't know, dude. I mean, you need to take that up with the, men, the head pastor. <laughs> I can't tell you why there's not. I said, but I think it's because you're taking no for an answer. I think, like, you need to um, make yourself, know, you know, be a little bit more vocal about what you want. Anyway, all that to say, when I was going through my divorce, and this is when I started dating Chris, too, is I went to the men of the rock, and I said, hey, the men need to step up as leaders in their family. We are seeing so much of this abandonment and fatherless nation and um, fatherlessness affecting society. And as Christian men, you've got to up your game. Like uh, We need some leadership from you in the church. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm what you would call an egalitarian just a fancy name, Bobby, you know what that means, right? Egalitarian is a type of doctrine, if you will, in the church that believes men and women have, can have equal roles in the church, that there's not a particular role for men or for women. That obviously I believe women can preach because I'm doing it, right? So I'm an egalitarian when it comes to the roles of women in the church and society and things like that. But at the same time, I recognize that we have as a society, and even sometimes in the church, have not helped men to step into the leadership that they need to have in their family and in society. And when I say leadership, I mean godly leadership. 
I'm not interested in ungodly leadership. I'm interested in godly fathers and godly men because I know that women and children will always prosper under godly men. And when they have godly men in their homes, women and children are going to prosper. And I want to be a way maker for women. I want to be somebody who champions the family. I was talking to my friend, Chris Johnson, the other day. She's coming up underneath me, or I'm teaching her how to do some of my mediations and things like that. Because like I told you, I'm getting a bunch of mediations now. After the quarantine, people are like, we can't stand each other, so please help us do this. And so I'm getting a lot of mediations. And she made the comment, and a lot of people that come to me are, um, not, they're not using lawyers, so they're not high conflict. They've kind of come to the conclusion this is what they want to do, and they just want me to help them walk through the process of it or the paperwork of it. And they are almost amicable and friendly with each other. And she watched me for two sessions, and she says, Paula, divorce shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't be this friendly. If you can get along to do your paperwork and divorce, why can't you get along to figure out what's going on with your marriage? And I said, I know, Chris, I don't know the answer for that. I, I can only assume that maybe some marriages operate different than me. You know, mine was a high-conflict divorce, high-conflict. I mediated six times. I refused to give in. I said, I will not give you a divorce. You will have to take it from me because what you're doing will destroy the fabric of my family, and I simply won't stand for it. But it didn't. That, unfortunately, tact doesn't work, especially when someone's already hurt in their heart and they're moved on with somebody else. It only takes one person to get a divorce. I learned that. So I, you know, became a mediator to help people like myself go through that, that horrible time when they, they, need, they need Christian people. But that doesn't stop me from saying I have a real heart for our family. I believe that our that families are the bedrock of society. And I believe that we need two parents in a family, not same-sex parents, but a father and a mother. Because I believe that fathers and mothers both uniquely mirror and um, show the heart of God. I believe that men and women were created in the um, image of God, and they both display his heart differently. And children, and the other thing is, I mean, quite frankly, and, you know, now I'm on live TV, so I have to be really careful of what I say. Like, I can't just say what I want to you guys. But... Quite frankly, it takes two sexes to have to reproduce. We don't reproduce like amoebas or whatever. It actually takes two different sexes to reproduce. Whether you're in a same-sex relationship or not, you're still not going to reproduce that way. And when we, when, when the Lord said reproduce, populate the earth and subdue it, it was going to take two different genders or sexes to do that. I'm sorry if I'm not being politically correct. But Amen. That's just the way it is. Therefore, we were created to be sexual human beings. We were created to recreate and to be sexual human beings, and we need models of how to be that in a godly way, and that's what marriage and families are supposed to do. They're supposed to be models of godly union between men and women so that we have children they can say, oh, there's a model of a wife and a husband as a team working together in a family. That is the original intent, I believe, that God had 
for human beings. And I'm not going to back down from that. I know I am not trendy with my theology, but that's, I believe that's biblical. I'm going to stand on that. I'm, I guess I'm a boomer and I'm going to stand on that. You know? No boomer. Right? No young people like the boomers anymore. I believe that fatherhood and motherhood, but fatherhood is the foundation of the heart and love of God. And it's what's missing in this generation. Hi, Aaron. Today, you can be a parent without being a spouse to your co-parent. But I want to give you some statistics. I'm going to watch a video in a minute. Consider this. If a father does not go to church regularly, only one child of 50 will grow up as a regular worshiper. But if the father does attend church regularly, nearly 35 children out of 50 will make worship and church a part of their adult life. That's about the that's about the influence just a godly man in his family. If you're a Christian man, if you go to church, you will model that to the children behind you. Now let's talk about implications of no, not only not a godly man, but no father whatsoever in your life. Here's the statistics for that. This is from the National Fatherhood Initiative. Adolescents and single mothers' families are at a higher risk of risky behavior, victimization, and mental distress. Children raised in a father absent home are two times more likely to suffer from obesity. Absence of a biological father contributes to the risk of child maltreatment. Individuals from father absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. Father involvement with schools associated with the higher likelihood of a student getting mostly A's. Children raised in a father absent home are more likely to experience behavioral problems. One in four children, this is from 2017, not even this year, one in four children live in a home without a dad. Children living in a female-headed home with no spouse present have a poverty rate of 47.6%, over four times the rate of children living with married couples. My, my point on that is we take men too lightly for what they bring to the table in society and in the family. We're going to show a video. I'm going to show you just a short video. of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71% of all pregnant teenagers, 85% of all children with behavior disorders, 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Considering that the vast majority of prisoners come from fatherless homes and my own father's history, I think prison is the true place to go to uncover the real gritty truth about what's wrong with the family. That's just a short intro. There's a documentary on YouTube that talks about um, fatherlessness and how um, so many people in prison come from fatherless homes. And I tell you that not to be depressing or not to you know, be socially, whatever. I want you to really understand 
that men have a very high place in the family and in the home. So many times we have minimized men's impact in the families and left a lot of the parenting to the, to the mothers, saying the mothers are more nurturing or whatever. And I want you to know that that is absolutely a, a wrong paradigm that we have fallen into or we have agreed to somehow. We have allowed the roles of parenting and male and female become so divided that we have we fall off the ditch on the either side. Does that make sense to you? Anyway, getting back to my story, when I went to the men of the rock and I said, I am broken over my marriage. I am broken over what's gonna to happen to my children. I need you to rise up, I need you to pray. I want you to become leaders in this church and leaders in your family. And I want you to know the men of the rock rose to that challenge. They are on fire for that challenge. The what would you call it, Bob? The protector inside of them, the the shepherds, whatever you want to call it, they rose to that challenge. And for about a year, I was kind of a figurehead for the men's ministry, which was a very weird thing. Chris, you did the men's ministry at that time. It was powerful and life-giving to both the men and to myself because they were so honoring of me. They prayed for me. They um, they covered me. They they were incredible men, but they needed a call to action and they had a call to action and they rose and they met that challenge. It was very, very eye opening as to where the, once men were given a, um, a job, a job <laughs> or a challenge and they were at, they were honored for who they were instead of criticized and made fun of and all those kinds of things, they were on the job. And Bob and I used to joke, we used to say they were all thrust and no vector sometimes because they were like like this. They had so much passion, you know, like a balloon. They would just go anywhere. They just needed a little bit of direction, you know. But once they had that direction, you couldn't stop them. It was very, very eye-opening to what could happen when genders work together. When instead of saying, you have this job, you have just this job, we said, here's the table and everyone is welcome. And you're welcome to this table. How can you bring your skills and your talents to this table to accomplish what God has wanted us to accomplish on earth? And especially to restore the family. It was, it was so encouraging. It was one of the most life-giving times in my life, really, despite what I was going through. Isn't that weird? It, had you heard that before, Joe? No. I'll tell you more about that. The proof is in father absence harms children. But I want you to turn to um, Malachi 4, verse 6, if you can. I'm going to read it, I'm going to read it to you out of the New King James Version. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the last book that we hear anything from the Lord for 400 years before the birth of Christ. So it is literally the last words of God, so to speak, silence for 400 years, then we have the New Testament being birthed. The last verse in the last chapter of Malachi is 4, 6, and that's what I want to focus on today. I'm going to read out of the King James Version, and it says, He will turn, this is God, He will turn, I'm sorry, this is Elijah, the spirit of Elijah. 
He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I think this is really interesting. This is where a little bit of Bible trivia for you. This is where translations matter. Because in the NIV, when I went to look this up, it said they will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and children to the parents. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is it parents or is it fathers? And I went back to the Strong's Hebrew and it's fathers. And this is important to me because it actually supports what I'm trying to say today, right? I want, it, I want to, my sermon to be supported, which is God wants to use fathers to turn the hearts of children. So much we've, lately there's been a trend to talk about, have you heard this toxic masculinity? Oh, yeah, roll your eyes up because that's crazy. You heard about it? Okay, here's the, pro here's the thing. There really is mas toxic masculinity. It has to do with ungodliness. It has to do with, um, that's it, ungodliness. But it doesn't mean that all masculinity is toxic. It doesn't mean if you're masculine, you're therefore toxic. What toxic masculinity is, is the world putting its thumbprint on what men struggle with sometimes, which is, which is anger or hostility or ungodliness or whatever it might be. But what I want you to know is God has a plan to use men to bring restoration to the family. We see it here in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, the last verse. That's an important thing. Mm -hmm. Men are the key, fathers are the key, it looks like, to turning the children back, to bring back the prodigal into the, into the fold. It's not mothers and fathers, it's fathers. I think that's a really important distinction. And I wanna to say to the fathers that are here, you have a supernatural destiny of leadership with your children. There are things that you can impart to your children that no other person can impart. No mother, no friend, no teacher. Only you are given a certain access to your children that is, it's divine. It's a divine access. <laughs> it's interesting because this is another statistic. Your mothers relate to their kids differently than fathers. And we, Chris and I talk about that a lot. Mothers sometimes are, they just relate differently. You're always a mother for whatever reason. Maybe carry that baby inside of you, does something to you. I don't know. But the statistics are that 98% of incarcerated men have contact with their mothers. And only 2% have contact with their fathers. What does that say? What does that say? So the first thing I want to say is, men, you have a call. You have a call from the Lord, a divine call that no one else can fill but you. The second thing I want to bring up is this. A father's primary responsibility is to exemplify the heart of God, the heart of God. You stand to your children as a picture of the father heart of God. You have to do two things. You have to bring correction and discipline. You train your children. This is from the Passion. I love this. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. When we train our children and we discipline them, it actually shows our love for them. And that's the job of a father is to train his children. So many times, men and women, we train out of 
when we discipline them with anger, I know I've done that a thousand times. We correct or or um, shame our kids because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed about ourselves and what they're doing. We don't do it out of love. Pardon me. We criticize. Mm -hmm. That's not what God does. A man's, a father's job is to train his children the way that God trains him. It's evidence of his faithful love. I love that. Discipline is always from the wellspring of love. The other part of God's heart that a man is supposed to display to his children is in the area of identity. It's the area of identity. Remember when Jesus was in the, um, the Jordan and he was being baptized by John the Baptist? And the dove, the Holy Spirit, comes out of the um, heavens and he says, Then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, This is the Son I love. My greatest delight is in him. That is a divine calling that men have, that women don't have. You are to call out the identity and you are to call out your love and your approval over your children. That's not given to the mother, that's given to the father. That's a unique destiny that only you guys have. Do you remember Gary Smalley? I talk about him a lot. He did that DNA relationships. He had this really funny um, anecdote, story. He talked about placing high value on people, that when we talk to people, we need to give them high value. And he said he would sometimes, when he would come into the room where his children is, he'd go like this. Oh, there he is. My son, you're so awesome. I can't believe I'm in the same room with you. It's the same kind of honor you would give, like, say the president walked in the room, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I need to get my, my picture with the president. And Gary Smalley's point was if we would approach our children with that kind of honor every single day, they would never question their identity. They would never question their love. And I would say, men, that's a responsibility that you have to communicate to your children. It's a divine responsibility. You're supposed to look like God. Act like God. Father heart of God, I mean, to your children. The, the last thing I want to leave you with is I believe, Chris and I were talking today, he, Chris keeps me up on my political um, ongoing, goings on, if you will, around the country. I prefer not to know, but he likes to know. And he told me today about how they are tearing down religious statues in California. Apparently, my source is Chris, apparently, now it's just rip everything down. Who cares why or what for? It's just let's go around and rampage and have riots and just tear down old statues because they have been oppressive or something. I think you would agree we are in a crazy time. I, I think... I have never been in a time like this, and I try not to tell you my real age, but I'm 56 years old. Wow. I've never, I know, never been in a time that feels so chaotic and so out of control, and the enemy is swirling around trying to really shake us. But I was talking to a friend the other day, Carla, one of my good friends, and we were talking about prodigals, the prodigals in our family, and just, and just prodigals in general. And I was like, wait a minute. The prodigal, in the story of the prodigal son, 
He doesn't come back to his senses when he's a, when he's living high on the hog. Oh, that's a pun. When he's living high, high, you know, with a bunch of money, right? He comes he comes to his senses when he's living with the hogs, right? He comes to his senses when he doesn't have enough to eat, when he's living like a Gentile with unclean animals. He's lost all his money. His life has been shaken to the very core. That's when he comes to his senses. And that's when he turns around and repents and goes back to the waiting arms of his father. And so I said, okay, that's what's happening now. People are being pushed into the, the pig pen. I'll wait for you right now. Go turn it off. Is it off? People are being shaken so much that they're being thrust into their pig pen. And God is saying, man, I hope you're hungry. I hope you're broken because I want to receive you back to my arms. And we need to be cognizant of that we're in this time with them. It may not, we may not see what God's doing, but we need to understand that this is a sovereign move of the Lord and he is bringing people back to himself. I believe that when we look at Malachi and we hear him say, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their son and the children's hearts to their father. That's the rebellious child coming back to the father. Lest I strike the land with a curse. Here's the thing. God doesn't want us to live in a curse. He wants us to be restored. So what I need, what I would like to suggest to you is that we look at the shaking that is happening in the land as God saying, I am using this to turn the children's hearts back to myself because I don't want you to experience a curse. I want you to look at what's happening in the land as God's sovereign hand moving on behalf of the people he loves in this world. We are going to be okay. I know that insecurity is not fun. And I know that the unknown is scary. But we are captured in the palm of God's hands, and he is not going to let us go. But right now, he wants to turn the hearts of the children back to the father. He wants to be the father the children come back to, and he's got to get their attention. And that may, might mean turmoil for a while. That might mean all kinds of things that we're going to have to keep our eyes fastened on what God what Remember my sermon last week? Keep your eye on the horizon. Don't look at what's happening here. Keep your eye on the horizon. He wants his children back. I believe that God will not be satisfied. He will not be satisfied till every single child has been shaken and given a chance to come back to himself. He's not willing for them to remain in their lost state. Does that, yeah. mm -hmm. that resonate with you at all? Remember when um, Father uh, Promise Keepers was out? How long ago was that, do you think? 97, 98, Remember what a powerful movement that was? Yeah. Calling men into just their identity and their leadership and how incredible, just the, out, the outcome of that was really, really fruitful. Mm -hmm. Last year, I, before this all happened, um, I remember that Chris Gallatin was talking about starting a similar Ministry. Do you remember that? Did you hear this? Yeah. And, yeah, and that he felt that the Lord was putting on his heart to start a ministry to minister to men for the fatherlessness of the nation. 
and to bring the prodigals home. And I think that is a very timely and interesting coincidence. Don't you believe that? And I think it's timely for this Father's Day because, I, like I said, I believe that men, listen, you know I believe in the leadership of women, right? But I believe in the leadership of men. I believe in the godly leadership of men, and I want to support them. I want to do everything to release men to God, who God has called them to be. And I'm the first one to say, rise up, fathers. Rise up, men. Lead the way. Lead the way. I'm going to end with this. This is a word from Lana Bosser. It's not going to be as long as the one you heard last week. I heard the Lord say, do not miss the redefinition. Over the last few weeks, I've been hearing the Lord speaking about redefinition. Redefinition is the action or process of defining something again or differently. It means to reconsider, reformulate, reevaluate, reinvent, rethink, rename, revisit. There is a redefinition that is taking place by the hand of the Lord right now. He is redefining some things. He is defining some new things, and he is moving his people into things that look different to what has been and what was. I heard the Lord say, do not miss the redefinition. It is really important right now to be listening to what the Spirit of God is saying and the definition and redefinition that is taking place by his Spirit. I heard the Lord say, I'm defining and redefining the season. The Lord has been speaking for years about Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. We are in this place now where God is doing a new thing. We are in a new era. In the defining and redefining by the Spirit of God taking place right now, it requires a yielding. The yielding of the flesh, the yielding of mindsets, opinions, agendas. But I saw in this defining and redefining taking place, there is such a weightiness of his presence. There is such life that will be found in allowing him to shape the season. I have been hearing the Lord speaking over the body of Christ. Know your season. It is so important that the sons of Issachar, that we know the times and the seasons and carry the knowledge from the Lord of what to do in this season. I believe we're in this season. We are now in a sovereign season. It's important that we discern and press in and partner with the Lord. Whatever that means for you to do, I encourage you to partner with the Lord. You have a divine purpose, divine destiny in your masculinity, in your fatherhood. You have something that you carry that nobody else carries for your children, for your family, and for society. And the women and children, we're depending on you to do it. We're depending on you to rise up and take your place and partner with the Lord and discern the season. All right? Yeah. I'm going to pray. I would like to pray for the fathers, if that's okay. May, I'm gonna, do you mind standing, fathers, and I'll just pray for you? Lord God, I thank you so much for these godly men. I thank you, Lord, that they have submitted themselves to you, and they agree with you right now to be the men of God and to be the fathers that you've called them to be, Lord. I thank you for their heart, that their hearts mirror and um, extend your heart to their children and the people around them. I pray, God, that you would visit them with supernatural gifts of wisdom and discernment and power, that they would speak with um 
a timely word, you give them prophetic words to speak to the people around them, that even now today, you would raise them up in all the gifts that you have for them, Lord. They would take seriously the responsibility they have in the land. They have a serious responsibility in the land and in their family to be leaders, to call out identity in their children, God. We bless them and re release everything that you have over them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.